Good morning. morning. Happy Easter. Easter. I'm Pastor Kyle. I want to thank all of you for being here today, especially our guests who are with us. We've been praying for you and are grateful that God has led you to come join us in worship on this very special Sunday. We welcome all of you watching or listening online, and we want to thank you for tuning in from wherever you are in the world to spend uh, some time celebrating the resurrection of Jesus with us. Uh, This is our fourth Sunday worshiping in the movie theater as we're preparing to rebuild our campus just right down the street across from the South Park Mall. Uh, As Pastor Nancy said, we uh, feel led by God to be the spiritual crossroads of this community, and we're so glad to welcome you to worship today. We invite you to join us for worship every Sunday that you're in town, and especially two weeks from today, we're going to be having our grand opening Sunday. We've been kind of going under the radar while we're working out the kinks of getting used to life in the theater. And uh, if each of you came back in two weeks, we would consider that a huge success uh, to have a great kickoff uh, to our year uh, in the theater officially. But uh, today uh, is very special because we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And it talks about in Scripture how God did this to give us all a fresh start. And so I'm glad you're here today to be a part of this discussion. Let me invite you now to join me in a moment of silent prayer that I would deliver God's word this morning, and that we would all hear it and allow God to transform us. Let's pray together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. In the movie, The Unforgiven, Clint Eastwood plays a character named William Money. As a young man, William Money was a bandit. He was violent. He used to rob people and gain money in illicit ways. He was prone to drinking a lot of alcohol and getting into a lot of trouble as he did that. Uh, But then he met a woman that changed his life. He fell in love and he married her and he began to be reformed. She was a Christian, a believer in God and Through her power of uh, love, she helped her husband overcome an addiction to alcohol and to violence, and he gave it all up for her, and he became a farmer. They had two children, but sadly, his wife passed away. And you can see early in the movie how much that affects him as he sits beside her graveside, as he mourns her loss. But he continues to try to do the right thing and live a good life and raise his two children, But farming has become difficult, difficult to make a living where he is. And so he begins to have thoughts about maybe going back to his old lifestyle. Well, a few miles down the way in Big Whiskey, Wyoming, there was a sheriff who was in charge of that town who was a very violent, self-righteous man. He was not to be messed with. And, And in that community, there was a saloon, and a couple of cowboys came into the saloon and They roughed up one of the working ladies in the saloon, if you know what I mean, and left her scarred, physically scarred on her face and emotionally scarred in her heart. And the mean sheriff didn't think that was anything worth punishing, and so he let the cowboys off pretty much scot-free. That really infuriated her colleagues, uh, the other women that worked with her in the saloon. And so they got together in the late 1800s and put together a bounty for $1,000 for whoever could come and find those cowboys and assassinate them and bring them to justice in the old West, Wild West kind of a way. One day, William Money was out farming in his farm, and a young man came up and identified himself as a Schofield kid. 
said he wanted to invite William to go and get that reward by capturing those bad guys and, and assassinating them. And, and they'd bring them $1,000. He'd heard all these things about William Money and, and his legend about being a bandit and a tough guy. And he wanted him to come with him. But William said, my days doing that stuff are over. You need to go on your way. And so, disappointed, the young man rode away. But two days later, William found himself on his horse, chasing after the young man to go indeed try to track down those cowboys to get money for his farm and for his children. And along the way, he stopped to get his friend Ned Logan, who was played by Morgan Freeman, a, another ex-gunfighter, and said, we've got to do one more job. And so they began to ride off together. And I want to show you a scene from the movie where they're camping one night, and Ned Logan is saying to William Money that, his wife wasn't excited about him coming on this trip because she thinks that William is still a dirty, no-good gunfighting killer. And William Money says, no, I beg to differ. I, I have changed. Watch this. You don't realize I ain't like that no more. Well, you know, Will. I hate to say him, Ned. Claudia, she straightened me up, cleared me of drinking whiskey and all. Just because we're going on this killing, that don't mean I'm going to go back to being the way I was. I just need the money. Get a new start for them youngsters. Yeah. I'm a changed man. Just because we're going on this killing doesn't mean I'm going back to being that man. That might be a red flag, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> So they go and they catch one of the cowboys and they kill him. We find out that William and Ned, they really don't have the stomach for killing anymore. And it really is hard for them to do that. And so Ned decides to ride off and he says, I don't want the money. I don't want anything. I'm done with this. I'm away. But William Money decides to see the job through and the Schofield kid. And they find the, the last cowboy and they track him down. And this time it's the young Schofield kid who, who, who assassinates him. It turns out that the Schofield kid was all talk, and this was the first time he'd killed a man, and, and it wasn't as glorious as he thought it would be. In fact, it began to haunt him, and, and he, he began to have regrets immediately, and he wished he hadn't done what he'd done. And now we watch this scene as he begrudgingly is regretting his actions. Was that what it was like in the old days, Will? Everybody riding out, shooting. Smoke all over the place, folks yelling, bullets whizzing by. I guess so. Say, Will. Yeah? That was the first one. First one what? First one I ever killed. Yeah? You know how I said I shot five men? It weren't true. Uh, that Mexican had come at me with a knife. I just busted his leg with a shovel. I, I didn't kill him enough to need Well, you sure killed the hell out of that fella today. Don't seem real. 
drink and never breathe again, ever. Now he's dead. And the other one, too. All on account of pulling a trigger. It's a hell of a thing, killing a man. You take away all he's got, and all he's ever gonna have. Yeah. Well, I guess they had it coming. We all have it coming, Captain. So tough scene so shows how the glamour of the violent lifestyle isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Soon they get word that Ned was captured by the sheriff and tortured and killed. The Schofield kid takes the money and he rides off to take it to Ned's widow and to William's children. And William decides that he needs to avenge his friend. For the first time in years, he downs a bottle of whiskey and he goes into town and he wipes out the sheriff and all of his men. This movie won Best Picture, won the Oscar for it. It's an amazing movie but it leaves you just feeling awful. The violence, the demons that chase a man and, and catch up to him again just when you thought that he'd been freed from them. And it shows how truly horrible that violence and killing and rough lifestyle can be. And it raises a couple of questions for me that I really wrestle with. One of them is, can we really escape our past? The demons that haunt us in our past, even though we might have changed and try to make a new life for ourselves to become a new person? Are we destined that those demons are going to catch up to us like they caught up to William Money with the drinking and the violence? After his wife had passed away, he had no more anchor to, to good things, and so he went back to who he really was. Is that how life really is? And I think the other question is, was he right when he said to the kid that we all have it coming? That we all have judgment and punishment because we all carry around guilt and shame in our lives and at some time, it's all going to catch up to us. Those are two questions that I wrestle with when I watch this movie. Those are two questions that I think today that the Scripture and the Holy Bible answer and leave us with more hope than the movie did. Let's join together as I read to you from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 1 through 10. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven disciples and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Scripture does say indeed that we do all have it coming. 
We all do wrong things against God, even though we're created in God's image. And, and that's a beautiful thing to be created in God's image. But we also have the freedom to make our own choices. And sometimes all of us at some point make the wrong choices. And so that brings into our lives guilt and shame. It brings into our lives what the Bible calls sin, wrongdoing against God. And it brings consequences of death. One day we will die, physically die. And one day we'll be separated from God. And the Bible uses the word hell, which means separated from God, all because we are not aligned with who God has created us to be. But Jesus says that's not going to be the end of the story. He says, I've got to do something about that because God has created people for something so much greater than that. And so when Jesus died on a cross, that phrase of we've all got it coming, he took that and put it upon himself. He took our wrongdoing, he took our sin, our guilt, and our shame, and our death, and our hell. Jesus did that for us, and he defeated it all when he came back to life, which is what we celebrate today. And so Jesus has given us an opportunity to be restored into a right relationship with God, to have our guilt and shame washed away, replaced with joy and inner peace, to live life to the full, and to be part of something bigger than who we are, and even to live forever in the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus did on the cross, and we celebrate today. Jesus gives us a true opportunity for transformation a true opportunity to write a new chapter in our lives to where the demons of our past can no longer haunt us when we surrender to Christ and invite Him in to be our Lord and Savior. When we turn away from our old selves and say, Lord, I want you to make me new, He will come in and make us into a new creation. And we will be different and we will be changed. And the demons that have chased and haunted us, they're in the past. Because we have died and we are alive again in Christ. And we have a new chapter in life. Why look for the living among the dead? Why dwell in the past and be fearful of all the things that haunt us? God says, let it go and move forward with a blank page, a blank chapter in the story of your life. And we see it come true in all kinds of stories of people in the Bible. A man named Saul who, in the early days when the church first began, persecuted Christians and had them arrested, even had them killed until he met Jesus. And he determined that Jesus was really who he said he was. And, and this man Saul surrendered and, and became a, a new man. He changed his name to Paul. And, and instead of persecuting and killing Christians and locking them up, he would go out and he would start churches in, in Europe and in Asia. And he wrote most of all of the New Testament. He turned a complete 180. He had an entire new chapter, a new lease on life. And he was a changed person different from who he was in the past. Mary Magdalene, one of the women who found Jesus missing in the tomb that, that Easter Sunday morning that he had been resurrected and, and saw those angels. Her story began as, in the Bible says, she was afflicted by demons. And we're not you know, quite sure exactly what that means, but it's not anything great until she met Jesus and he cast out the demons from her life. And she was a new person, and she was a part of the greatest moment in the history of the world, the resurrection of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, what demons do you have that haunt you from the past, that you seem to think that you can never escape? Are you ready to surrender those today and invite Jesus in and say, I'm ready for a fresh start? And some of us skeptically might think, well, you know, 
It's just a, a movie we've been watching. The, the Bible's a book, and it talks about things that happened a couple thousand years ago. And, and, and today, does anybody really have an encounter like Saul or Mary Magdalene where we really have been changed by God? Absolutely, yes. I want to introduce you to a man named Michael and show you the story of how God changed his life. Check this out. Grew up playing drums, wrote my first song when I was five years old. Was able to hear a pop song and be able to play it. And I uh, was in the choir in a little Baptist church and my heart was really after the Lord. All I wanted to do was just pick up a guitar and sing praise songs. God had a call in my life, uh, and music was supposed to be a part of that. For some reason, it was contagious to me. It was just it made me light up. It was a beautiful time of my life. It sort of anchored me. I felt like I was riding a wave that really was something very, very pure, and that really penetrated into my heart. This is just what I'm supposed to do with my life. Well, when I got to 17, all my older friends went off to college and I moved to Nashville, Tennessee to be a songwriter. I was playing in after hours bars from 1.30 to 5.30, just in a bunch of trouble. And I began to be enticed that maybe you could play with a fire and you won't get burned. Little did I know that um, I would be in the biggest pit of my life and feeling like there was no way of escape. Smoking that first joint and feeling so guilty about it. From there it went to, you know, it was cocaine, it was LSD. And I'm just in the thick of it, man. I'm just doing this stuff and I'm, I'm, I got sucked into this thing. For some reason I justified it. You lose perspective. It's almost like your your compass sort of just like disappears and you enter this whole other world and you don't really realize it's going down and then all of a sudden it's too late. You know, I'd flashback to those times when I was 15 going, just really hearing the voice of God going, I've got a call in your life. I knew where I belonged. I just couldn't get out of the mess that I was in. And um, I was very depressed. That went on for three years until I had near-death experience and snorting something that you thought was cocaine and it was something else and thought I was going to die. Literally, literally thought I'm dying. And that's when I began to pray that God would do whatever He had to do to get my attention. I need to be rescued. Everything began to change. And in November 79, I got rescued at 12.30 at night on the linoleum floor of my kitchen uh, right outside of Nashville. I went on the floor and just began to shake. And um, I was crawled up like a baby, you know. And I was just weeping, I was weeping. And I wept and I wept and I cried. 
And I just began to cry out for God. The God of the universe came and wept with me on that floor. And I haven't been the same since. It all changed. I made up my mind that I would hold myself accountable. I would surround myself with great people. You know, one thing led to another. Eight months later, I got my first songwriting contract. I was getting paid 200 bucks a week to write songs. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. And then all of a sudden, I found myself getting a record deal. And I'm in the studio 14 hours a day, and I'm writing songs. And, you know, all of a sudden, I'm opening up for Amy Grant, and I'm doing my own tours. And, and then all of a sudden, you find yourself filling arenas. Never could have orchestrated any of this. And so, been pretty remarkable. God's faithful. I know now what the real deal is, and I know now that selling millions of records doesn't bring you peace, and I know where my hope lies. It's not being a rock star. All that stuff dissipates, but it never lasts. It doesn't last. The greatest peace that I have is I know who I am. I'm a son of the high king of the universe. My identity crisis is solved. I am Michael W. Smith, and I am second. When he says, I am second, it means that he surrendered and that God is first in his life. As a young man, he was in a good relationship with God. Then he got into a lot of trouble and fell away. But God did not give up on Michael. Transformed his entire life, and he's not looked back. The demons of addiction have not been able to overcome him. And he's sold millions of records and reached millions of people for Jesus, singing high praises to the Lord God Almighty. And I love what he said that as soon as he received Christ again and, and gave his life back to God, that, that he was smart and he surrounded himself with great people to hold him accountable because he didn't want to go back to the past that he had. And, and Christ is enough, but when we surround ourselves with other people who are on this journey with us, man, we just make things even better for us. Why look for the living among the dead? His life was transformed. And what it means, brothers and sisters, is that the good news is that Jesus offers us a new story. Jesus offers all of us a new story. And and we might not have been an addict. We might not have been a violent cowboy. But there are things in our past. All of us have things in our past that we wish we could let go and that would stop haunting us. And, and we live in fear that it's going to overtake us and we're destined to repeat the same mistakes again and again and again. And the good news today is Jesus says, no, I am here to give you a true fresh start, a true new story, a true new chapter. So what I'm saying is take him up on it. Why look for the living among the dead? Why dwell in the past, always living in fear that the past is going to catch up to us and overtake us? Jesus says, no, I have died and I am alive again. I have given you new life. You are a new creation in me. I will give you life to the full from now until all of eternity. So don't look for the living among the dead, brothers and sisters. Release the old and let Jesus begin to write a new chapter in your life today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Happy Easter. Amen.